Well, I remember after that second diagnosis when I was going for a walk and I remember it very clearly and God spoke to me and said, you, you, basically, you have it the wrong way around. You're putting food above me. I am number one. I, I am the, your God, not the food. And it was a really, it was just one of those when it was spoken to your spirit and just, oh, it hurt. It was because it was a realization of, oh my goodness, I have been doing that. And, and and repentance going, I'm sorry, God, you know, you're right. I have been putting, it's idolization of the food, really, instead of God. And, you know, the Bible says you should have no other idols. And that's exactly what I was doing. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason, and this is The Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. My guest today is Tanya Gregg. Tanya is a mother of two and works in school administration. She's been a Christian all her life and served in various roles, including religious instruction in schools. At 36 years of age, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and that began a seven-year journey into deep relationship with God. In part one of this episode, Tanya shares how her journey with God through cancer began. We begin to tease out the conflict between our reliance on the body for this life and our trust in God who sustains it and uses it for His eternal purpose. Step by step, God gently moved into the central position in Tanya's life, remarkably revealing His life-giving power through events that seemed so destructive. Good morning, Tanya, and thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Good morning, Tanya, and thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's a pleasure. You have an amazing story to share and um, so many wonderful things to talk about around that. But we're going to get started sort of right from the beginning for you because you grew up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to get a sense from you, first of all, what your vision of motherhood in that kind of environment was. Did Did you have a sense when you got married and and, and went into motherhood that you had an idea of what a Christian family would look like? I, I think so. I think without realising it, I did. But so obviously my parents are both Christians, so I grew up in church and, you know, we'd always go to, um, you know, church in the morning and church at night. And when I was a little kid, I remember sleeping under the pew and, you know, and resting. Right, and yeah. my mum my was um, mostly a stay-at-home mum until then – not long after my my younger brother, the her third um, was born, and then she went back part time. But my view of motherhood, I think, was yeah, as is very an important role, you know, to have your children and to be there for them. And that was that was my I was never been a career person. My main goal was to be a mum, mm. to be married, and to have children. So that was always very important to me, always. Yeah, yeah, and also to centre them around faith. So I wanted to go, my children to go to a Christian school. No, it doesn't mean everything, but for me it was like, no, I want to send my children to a Christian school so that they they also are surrounded by Christian beliefs and backgrounds. So very important to me always. Yeah, yeah, and you had a good experience of Christian schools. Obviously, you you felt comfortable that they were going to get that that good yeah. foundation. I do, and I know it's not. That's not where they get all of you know your the the teachings, but I wanted the morals that came with that. And I went to a Lutheran primary school mm-hmm. and just a non-denominational high school. So yeah, it was it was good. It was, but it wasn't where I would 
I would say that I got all of my teaching, but it was a it was a good background. Yeah, that's an, that's always, that's been an interesting question for me actually as a mum as well, trying to think what to do with schools and things yeah. because. You know, I did actually go to a Christian school, even though I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, even though we, we would have, we would have all have said that we believed in God. But now looking back, I see that, you know, there were, there were problems and, and nowhere's perfect, is it? Because it's full of no. people, but, Absolutely. but there were some foundational things. Like I found myself realizing that I knew the Lord's prayer because mm. we sang it every assembly, you know, just those things that, yeah. that feed into filling out, filling out someone's faith, don't they? Yeah. yeah, 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 and so that is exactly what you did. You got married and you waited a little bit of time, and then and then had your your children, two children, yeah. mm-hmm. and then nearly eight years ago, you had an unexpected surprise. Mm. I um, yeah, basically a very unexpected. I thought I was quite invincible, which was very silly to think that. But um, yeah, I was, wasn't was even looking for it, but I was, I remember it very clearly. One night I was just in the pantry and um, I had my pyjamas on and I felt a a, pea, a hard pea-sized lump on one of my breasts and it, to the point where it took my breath away, like it was just, when you know, you just know it was just not right. right. So for me, it wasn't dig my head in the sand. It was right off to the doctor, make an appointment, see the doctor tomorrow and start the ball rolling basically mm-hmm. to find out what on earth this is. Yeah. And I've ended up being diagnosed with breast cancer. Have you thought about how you knew? No, there was nothing in my family. My dad had had prostate cancer about the time that my daughter was born, so about 2006. Uh, other than that, and I never, never crossed my mind that it would even be in our family like I just when I felt that I didn't even relate it to my to my father I just thought that's not right it is just it just I just knew it was like disturbment knowing that that is not right yeah you know yeah yeah no, yeah. It's strange how we have those moments in life, isn't it? Because I often worry, how will I know if something's gone wrong? But every time there's been something gone wrong, there hasn't even been a question in my mind that we need to act now, like this is not yep. right. And yet and to listen to that. Yes, yeah. That is what a lot of people would say, oh, that's just, you know, gut intuition. Well, I believe it's the Holy Spirit just yeah. saying it's not right. Yeah, I think it absolutely is because a myriad things go wrong in a day. And you don't leap at everything, do you? You just exactly, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. But then these things, these things occur. So you went straight into a barrage of tests, and everything moved quite quickly from that point, didn't it? Very fast. Yep. So from the doctor to the GP, then they do their what they have to do, and they send you off for all the tests. So there was ultrasounds and mammograms and biopsies, and then a, ended up being a surgical biopsy because they didn't get correct like um, tissue, MRIs, everything, yeah, to determine, um, you know, if what it was and then um, at what stage it was and and um, treatment from there. So this all happened, I think um, we went away. We had, a, we had a holiday booked and we said we're going away anyway and that was about a f- about three weeks later. And when we came back, uh, I think within a couple of days, I was in having a mastectomy within sort of three and a half weeks of finding out, well, no, of finding the lump, really. Right, yeah, yeah. When you when you got this diagnosis, it seems like you 
you still had a sense of your invincibility in a, in a way, didn't you? Because, I mean, you kind of, you took it in your stride. It seems like you kind of went on the holiday and did it terrify you or where did, where it were was, you in that first diagnosis? It was hard to believe, to be honest. Mm. It was, everything moved so fast, lots of doctor's appointments, lots of scans and tests. So everything happened really fast. And I'm very grateful that my husband was there because he retained a lot more information probably than I did. Um, that's the way he's wired anyway. But I was scared but in unbelief because I just could not believe that I'd just turned 36 and that I was having this diagnosis when I felt totally fine. Mm-hmm. I know I had gone through a lot of stress. We owned our own businesses and I'd gone through a f- probably two to three years of a high stress, which now I look back and go, well, that's probably was the you know, maybe a catalyst to all of this happening. But I didn't, I definitely wasn't expecting this. And um, I I, I guess looking on, it would look like I took it in my stride. But I I do remember the morning after the mastectomy in the hospital and I just was, I just burst into tears and the nurses Mm -hmm. were like, oh, you know, they feel, they feel bad for me and they were comforting me and I heard them whisper, you know, Jenny just found out, you know, like, you know, just recently and I think it just sort of hit me, you know, that like, oh my goodness, this is real. This is not just doctors talking about me and this is real. I've just had my breast taken off. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was just, yeah, I think it started to hit me then. Right, yeah. I want to ask you about the body a little bit and and delve into that today because it comes up a lot in in the way that you've you've shared your story with me already. And I've just been chatting to Jodie McIver, who's a midwife. She's written a book about God in childbirth and pregnancy, a really interesting book, looking at it from a Christian perspective. But one of one of the areas that we touch on there is the body and what happens to our our perspective of our body when we become mothers. So you've been through the whole motherhood thing. I mean, we'll we talk about this more because it became very important with you as well in a different kind of way. But from motherhood, did you did you find that your relationship with your body was, was significantly altered after your children were born and, and your perception of your body? Absolutely. I feel, I really did feel like when I was pregnant and then after I had my babies that that my body was doing what it was supposed what I was designed to do absolutely I loved it I loved I loved pregnancy I loved being a mum I like those preschool years like every bit of it I loved and I think the focus has taken off your own self Mm -hmm. like your insecurities because it's all about the kids you know like being a mum and it's all about them and I do believe it's important to look after your body because our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit but definitely the focus is different Mm -hmm. and and I did I I actually remember feeling like huh my body is doing what it's supposed to what it's supposed to do it's designed to, you know, to have a pregnancy. And I know that is not the case for everybody, but for me, it was like, wow. And it happened quite easily for me. So very blessed in that sense. But yeah. 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 So for you, that that stage of motherhood was, was not a loss. It was like a fulfillment. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we're sort of 10 years on from, from your first child being born yeah. and suddenly a part of your female body has been taken away. Mm. How did that hit you? I just, and my husband as well, we both just were very relieved that we had had our children at what people would class as young. I was 24 when I had our first child. So I was 
really grateful that was all done and we had finished our family when that had happened because it was like, well, you know what? My breasts have done what they're supposed to do. Right. And um, as hard as it was to like remove, like make the decision to remove one, it was like, okay, well, they've, they've actually done, they've done what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So, all right, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> we just can get rid of them, take them off. Yeah. No, well, no, it's it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about, well, the focus on our bodies is, is it's hard to get away from, isn't it? Because we're physical beings and obviously if you take us out of our bodies, we go somewhere that we can't we can't yet comprehend. And so that's that's a fearful sort of thought. But you've made a beautiful picture in the idea of, of your body being used for the fulfilment of what it was made for. And then in a way it was sort of there was a destructive element to the surgery that gave you life. The sort of the destruction of the body for the sake of life. It's I feel like there's something interesting there. It, it, look, it, it wasn't easy. And in saying that, after I had my kids, I, I, I've probably always been quite insecure about my body. And I never got a single stretch mark with my kids, but I got the really stretched, like a deflated balloon on my tummy. So I did have, after my last, probably about oh, seven years after my last, I did have a tummy tuck mm-hmm. and like for my confidence. And that was very like, that was very good for my confidence as well. But I definitely struggled with self-confidence with my body. Yeah. And I felt like when when I had got diagnosed with the cancer and I had like a mastectomy, then it was almost like, I know God didn't cause that, but it was like, wow, that I, I, it's like that focus on myself mm-hmm. was just taken away again saying, it's not about your body. It's not about how you look. And it was like, it just, it was a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happened. Yeah, yeah. That's, that we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on because you've, you've brought a really wonderful scripture about that. But at this point in your story, you're also having to make further choices about treatments and you chose not to do the mop-up chemo or radiation. And I want to ask you what it was that drove that decision. Well, I would barely take a Panadol. <laughs> right, okay. A Panadol would expire before, you know, I was a I was a healthy person, like, and I still consider myself a healthy person. It's such a contrast. So I just, it didn't sit with me. I read a book about a lady who, a Christian lady, similar position. She was, was very healthy and then she got diagnosed with breast cancer and she went, she changed all her diet and she started juicing. And that sat well with me. So... I was trying to do everything as natural as possible for my body and that seemed very unnatural. And we, you know, the doctors or the oncologists give you um, the statistics, you know, if you don't have it, if you do have it. At that stage, it was just stage two and it hadn't spread to the lymph nodes. So we weighed all of that up, my husband and myself, and we just, I decided that I didn't want to go ahead with that because the chances were very low of, of it coming back. So, yeah, so we made the decision of no. And, and the, the chances were very low of it coming back. It would, it would be, as the doctors would say, just a random cell that um, has escaped and, yeah. Yeah. Where do you think this feeling of, and I don't mean to pursue you on this because it may be only a, a 
sort of cursory point, but where do you think the feeling of invincibility came from? Was it the idea that you you had put a lot of effort into being healthy and, you know, you didn't didn't have a history of things going wrong and, you know, where, where were you with that thought? Do you think – th- I guess what I'm getting to here is did you feel better taking your – treatment into your own hands a bit did you Um, feel like you could mm, you could manage this potentially yes I do like to control a little bit (laughs) probably a lot what I can and this whole journey has shown me that I can't control any of it Mm. as it's shaken that um I think also the fact that I was young I mean it was just before my 36th birthday that Mm -hmm. I found the lump and my grandparents were in their late 80s, you know, and invincible, strong European women. So, and just I think at that age, you just think, "Hmm, I'm fine. I'm generally, I've not had any health problems. You know, nothing's, you know, nothing can affect me very arrogantly thinking that nothing could affect me. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm interested that that this book was so meaningful to you at that time. And and you you said that you felt like it was a God-driven decision to, to find the book and you couldn't put it down and I didn't even find it wasn't even it was given to my mum randomly by a lady at church who she didn't know this is in another state yeah. and her mum sent up to me it was sitting on my bedside table for a good week or two and I thought oh yeah I'll get around to it I get around to it so I had didn't even have an inkling to read it when I first got it because there was a lot going on and then one night when I went to bed I thought okay I'll read I could not I could not put it down and I read the entire book throughout the whole night because very unlike me normally I just you know reading puts me into a deep sleep and I just could not put it down and I was like oh my goodness I need to change the way that I eat Mm. because what I thought was healthy was probably not yeah it's it's fascinating to me how these things come together because I think you can't pigeonhole God and say he only wants it to be done naturally or he only wants it to be done through medical intervention. You know, I see it all the time, you know, with different stories. And then you found yourself, you know, actually glued to this book, even though, you know, later on in your story you might say, well, I ended up having the chemo anyway. But at that mm-hmm. point in your story, that book was really important and God it put was, it in your hands. Yeah, and it completely changed since then the way that we – the way that we eat like as a whole family and myself particularly, like it's completely, entirely just pivoted that course, that section of my life. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 So at this point, you've, you've come through this horrible experience. What were your thoughts as a mother in terms of your family? Did you feel fear at this point that you were maybe... <sighs> yes, yes, and I didn't, yes, but I didn't allow myself to run away with that thought because I believe that it was not God's intention for me to leave my children motherless and my husband as, a, a, like, widowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just never... Uh, yes, I felt fear, but I wouldn't allow myself to run away with it, which is like CBT. <laughs> it was just, okay, that's not God's plan. Why would, you know, why would God want that? He wouldn't want that for me. And so I just was reading scripture after scripture of, you know, just reinforcing what God says and what the Bible says and about life. So 
I didn't even, I didn't enter that. And I know that when those thoughts came in, I don't believe they're from God. I, I, I think they're probably from the enemy. And even though I felt them, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't stay there. I wouldn't wallow in that. And I've always intended on not leaving my children motherless. Mm-hmm. They're now 19 and 17 mm-hmm. and holding grandchildren in my arms and not leaving my husband widowed. So that is just, I live like I'm healed and my body is catching up. I say that all the time. So it is as far as they're concerned, you know, like they've had their moments. They were quite, you know, much younger when this all started and they definitely were worried about me dying because they didn't understand as well. So now that they see me and they've been watching this journey over the last seven years, they can see, like they forget, we all forget. We all forget about what's happened and yeah. not in a bad way, but in a good way because yeah. I don't allow it. I'm not a victim. It's not my badge. I don't wear it. It's something that's happening to me. It's not me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's an interesting separation from your body already, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it's 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 certainly moved you in that in that perspective as well. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's not where it ends. So 16 months later, you found yourself with back pain. Yes. So I woke up one day, literally, and I had this aching back as if like you'd slept on a bed wrong or slept the wrong way. Or I thought it might have had something to do with the muscle um, that was like pulling from the reconstructive surgery from the mastectomy. Wasn't sure, didn't link it at all to cancer coming back. Neither did the GP at that stage. So she sent me for tests and I, I suggested, or oh, maybe I need to go to a physio then. So she agreed thinking, oh, and if it is muscular, yes, okay. So I went to the physio twice and explained it. And on that second visit, I, it was that gut, that Holy Spirit instinct again that just said, this is not it, this is not right. Okay. And it just didn't feel right at all. So I rang my um, the breast doctor who had done the reconstruction, and I was I think I was due to see him anyway. Went to him and told him what happened. So he got me in a bit earlier. I went to see him. More test, more test, and yeah, it was confirmed that it was the cancer had come back. So basically, a cell had escaped, and yeah, it had become metastatic. So as soon as it goes from its primary spot anywhere in the body becomes metastatic, mm-hmm. which automatically is a stage, class of stage four cancer. So it had at that stage gone to m- my bones. So m- a lot of it on my spine, um, a lot of tumors on my spine, which is why I was getting the backache mm-hmm. and like on my sternum and around my hips and my pelvis. Mm-hmm. And then more surgery started yeah. <laughs> happening from there. Were you afraid at that point? shock again. Yeah. More shock again. I think just could not believe that this was happening again. Mm. I I even remember you saying to my husband, I felt like I, you know, I felt like it just, the first diagnosis, it just felt almost like I'd got away with it. Like, yeah. and that it sounds really strange to say that, but it was like, oh, I cannot believe I'm going through this. It has spread like, yeah, it, it definitely, it changed me again. It was like I just keep pivoting and pivoting, like changing mm. things like to God in that. Yes, because, I mean, you, you had that book and you had this experience with the book and I suppose in a way you, you possibly felt like 
this was the answer that was given to you and you, you didn't need to worry about that anymore as long as you, you know, kept on this course and did these things. And then, I mean, I've had, I've had moments like that in my life where I thought, I can't believe that I'm going through this again. I can't do this again. I mean, was it one of those moments? Definitely. It was like, it was, it was yeah, shock. It was like, <sighs> like disbelief. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, was this a point where you found your relationship with God changing? I mean, did it did it affect the way you prayed and definitely all those sorts of things? So it really started changing when with the very first diagnosis. It really made I really looked to God and realized, you know, that He wasn't just a tack on to my life. That I needed God. I really did, and that He was putting these things in place and you know, with food and books and people and surgeons, you know, f to, to help me. Not he did, I'd never, ever believe that he would give this to me. You know, this is, this, we live in a fallen world and bad mm. things happen all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. but I believe that he would give me the grace that I needed and show me what I needed to do as long as I put it first. So it changed then, mm. the first diagnosis, and then I probably started looking at the food more than I started looking towards God because I really believe that with good intentions, I thought that the food was going to be the one thing that would like save me, you know, like God had given the food and me this information. And then the second diagnosis, it, again, it was just like a another like, oh my goodness, I, I have been looking at this the wrong way. It's God and God will use whatever he wants to sustain me and give me the grace in the meantime. Yeah. So I would say at that point, it was is really at the second diagnosis, that's when I really just completely surrendered to, to God's way for my life and to he can use me and whatever tools, how he sees fit. And I'd have to trust him and not the things of this world. Mm. It's hard to, to not forget that it's it is God with the other thing that he's given yeah. you to do in this physical world it's not okay now you go away by yourself and do it we, we really have to be with him all the time don't we it's, it's yes that the idea that we need to be with him all the time is is quite hard for us to grasp somehow it is and we don't we don't always live that way no. you know but it's it's almost like it I've been taught by God you know, every time I think something should happen or something should go a certain way, he always flips it. It's like everything is opposite to the way, again, being controlling, the way that I think it should be. And it's it's like a coming back, do you trust me? Mm. Do you trust me? Yeah. Every all, happens all the time. And that is where you can either go, no, I trust only in, you know, what, what I can see here in this world or... I trust God that, okay, this is not at all what I thought would happen, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to, you know, I believe that everything is a tool that you can use, but ultimately my trust is in you. Absolutely. It's interesting that a lot of mums said that they've had those that realisation at the start of motherhood where mm -hmm. their control has been taken away and they feel like they need God. Did you have that experience? I was probably a bit arrogant, I think, where I being controlling and you know I had I just had that Christian a wishy-washy Christian I would say back then and God was very important to me but I still believe that I could 
do it all on my own. Like, you know, I never, I, I probably when the kids were young, I never thought to ask God for guidance. I, we prayed with them, you know, every night. But I just, I think that's that my personality being quite, you know, controlling that I was, again, I just thought everything was going well and don't, you know, you don't, often you don't, you don't think you need God when things are going well. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Probably, I definitely, the kids will refer to the way I was then, the Christian that I was then and the Christian that I am now, like since my diagnosis, I was always been a Christian, always believed in God, always gone to church, always put those views and values in my kids. But in the last seven years, I really, I'm like a born again, born again Christian. Mm. That's yeah. how I would describe it. It's it's always the strongest testimony, isn't it, when your family recognises it? I, I remember that when, when I became a Christian, Ben said to me, you look different. You are different. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to you, but you are different, you know, and he's, he, he noticed that. So this was the point. I mean, you, you talk about this as your, your born-again moment where you felt that God spoke to you and, yeah. and set you back on the right path. Yeah. Well, I remember after that second diagnosis, when I was going for a walk and I remember it very clearly and God spoke to me and said, you, you, basically, you have it the wrong way around. You're putting food above me. Mm-hmm. I am number one. I, I am the, your God, not the food. And it was a really, it was just one of those when it was spoken to your spirit and just, oh, it hurt it was because it was a realization of, oh my goodness, I have been doing that. And and, and repentance going, I'm sorry, God, you know, you're right. I have been putting, it's idolization of the food, really, instead of God. And, you know, the Bible says you shall have no other idols. And that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be surprising, I suppose. I mean, it's right there, Matthew 4. The first temptation is is about the body. I, I really believe that the first thing Christ had to overcome was was the body in, in that yes. Yes. In the temptation of Christ because he had to acknowledge that every breath comes from the word of god from the mouth of god and yeah. and um we do we do get so obviously tied up with our bodies because we need them but um we need a lot of other things including finances mm-hmm. and and that's something that a lot of people find hard to trust god with as well but god looked after you at this point didn't he there was yeah. there was a huge blessing for you here so much uh, like <laughs> every every without even like asking him for these blessings, he was just bestowing on us blessing after blessing after blessing, just lots, lots of things. I mean, the people from the church, they were all, you know, bringing around food and like more, more blessed than we could have possibly imagined, you know, like our cup was running over for the back surgery, which is by neurosurgeons. So they're not cheap. And that was with the second diagnosis and that because one of the, they needed to do radiation on one of the tumors which was touching my spinal cord but before they could do that they had to stabilize my spine with rods and screws which involved a neurosurgeon to do that surgery which is not not small surgery and it's not cheap surgery so that's that's when happened really fast and yeah we were expecting to pay friends of ours just before us not long he'd had same back surgery rods and screws and I think even with private health they were still out of pocket about 10 uh, or $12,000, I think. So we were expecting to pay that. We didn't get a bill and we, I'd had the surgery and my husband goes, I'm just going to go down to the, the office where the surgeon is because it's in the same hospital. 
And that's when they said, no, just um, she's not charging you, just on compassionate grounds. And we were just like, what? Like mm. blown away. And then a week later, I had to have my ovaries taken out mm. in another surgery and never seen these surgeons before ever in my life. And again, he took them out and again, didn't charge us the gap. We, every time we were expecting to pay and they just said, no, no, we're not, not charging you. Like they didn't even make a big deal of it. It was just we went to say, well, how much do we do we owe? And they said, no, they're, they're not charging you the gap mm. on compassion grounds. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. 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 He's all over <clears throat> everything. But here we are again with another part of your body being removed in order to give you life. There's this sort of irony there, isn't there, that we can, yeah. Yeah, more. yeah that's right. It's every part of who I thought what made me a woman was being taken away from me. Mm. Like... God, God created me and he will sustain me even though I think that having these things is going to make me less of a woman and, you know, like, okay, all right, God, I trust you. I trust you. Again, I trust you. So taking my ovaries out at the age of 37, I think I was at that stage, made me, um, well, like put me into surgical menopause. And again, it wasn't ideal and they didn't want to do it, but because the hormones that are in the ovaries and the breast cancer that I had is fed mostly by hormones, um, they said it's best to take them out. So I did, and I did go into menopause straight away. And all the symptoms that they said would be, you know, severe and you'll have, you know, like menopause symptoms, but really badly. I, I mean, I got a couple, but nothing, it doesn't even register on the radar. Like, you know, God, again, has just sustained me throughout throughout that. I mean, I've been in, technically, been in menopause for the last five years, six years, oh, five, five years. And yeah, I just, it's not a big deal. For me, it just is another example of God's hand upon my life, just giving me the grace that I need in that, you know, after that decision has been made. Yeah. The thing that really fascinates me is the idea of what a mother is because, I mean, there's a, I felt it very strongly when I got pregnant that there was a lot of emphasis on your body's going to do what it's going to do and it's all very natural and motherhood is very natural. And, and I've talked to other women who said, you know, if you – if you leave it to nature, <laughs> you'll be in big trouble. You know, there's there's nothing natural about motherhood. And it seems like all of the parts of you that were for motherhood are gradually being removed. But, you know, um, this book that, that Jodie McIver has written, she makes a wonderful point where she says, "We, I think, I think we are the only species that continue to live beyond our reproductive ability. Mm. And I think that's really important because all of those things, those natural things, are not what make you a mother, are they? That's exactly right. It's relationship. And I think, mm. I think that's, that's important for us to understand for our own well-being, but for, for our perspective of God, it's the mm -hmm. relationship that mm. really matters above all else, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like planning for a wedding and all you're focused on the wedding, but what's really important is the marriage after the wedding is one day. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's like motherhood. And it feels like when you're in it and you have young kids, you're that's it. Like forever you're going to have these young kids and you're tired and, and it's just like, you know, never ending. And all of a sudden they're at school. And then all of a sudden they're in high school. And then all of a sudden they finish school and it's like, wow, that 
in you know like looking back that actually happened really fast but it didn't feel at the time forever yeah and you're growing at the same time and and your situation with having this massive life event I think really I wonder if it really brought it home to you that you are a person whose life is going on regardless of whether your children are growing up how they're growing up because we tend to think oh well I'm 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 finished now and, and I'm focused on my kids and, and it'll be them that go on. But your life doesn't stop either, does it? And this has happened to you and you're having to deal with that while trying to shepherd them at the same time. Yep. I mean, how and did they're, you... They're watching everything without even realising that they're watching. But, what it, you know, this is, this is a chance to have a testimony, not just for me, but for them, like, mm-hmm. to see and to... to you know, because they filter, they filter from us. You know, if we're scared, they're going to be scared. Mm. You know, mm. if we live like we're a victim and, you know, like they're going to do exactly the same because they do mirror us to a degree, yeah. especially yeah. when they're younger. I'm Look, I'm very determined that they are that these children are, are not going to be without a mother. They need their mother. Mm. So mm. that that's a that's a a driving force, I guess, for me. And I don't ever want them to be victims. You know, like I want them to see that bad things can happen, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that everything nosedives from there. And it's it's the grace that God gives you to go through these things because if you don't go through anything hard, then it's hard to know that your faith is really tested. You might think you have, you know, great faith, and but until you're put in fire, then you can see what actually comes out. Yeah, that's right. You brought a wonderful scripture. You said, by his, by his stripes, we are healed, Isaiah 53, 5. And you declare that scripture every day, don't yeah. you, out loud? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I felt that as well, like a couple of years ago, I felt God saying to me, I want you to, when you pray, don't ask for, for healing. You just thank me for your healing. So again, it's that trust. It's okay. Okay, I can't see it here at the moment on this earth, but that's not what faith is. Faith is believing in something we can't see. So regardless of how I am here, I'm healed. And that's what I declare. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed. That's amazing because I've had the exact same experience. I was sitting in the room where I am right now, actually, and suddenly God told me how to pray. He said, stand up and open your hands. And then he said, ask and then say thank you. That's exactly what he said to me yeah. as well. That's amazing. Yeah, um, it is. It's very powerful. And so I'm also very, I'm very particular with that. When people, if they want to pray for me, and I just say, don't pray asking or begging. You stand in, in agreements with me, and you thank God for my healing. You know, regardless of what we see here, we we thank God. Yeah. So, and I, I don't want people praying for me like like I'm. Uh, begging <laughs> for healing because God's word says that by his stripes we were healed. Mm. So it's I, I say I am healed, my body's catching up and the doctor's, doctor's reports are catching up. And no, and if you yeah. met me, like I don't talk about it very often, so this is quite strange to be talking so much about it, but people wouldn't, don't even know. That, that, that's that's why they don't realise or they forget because I, don't, I definitely don't look like a sick person. I don't yeah. act like a sick person and I don't declare myself to be a sick person. That's right. You don't even look your age. I'm, I'm looking at you right now. You don't even look <laughs> as, as old as you are. But I want to ask you what you think about this because 
it popped into my mind as I was talking to Jodie, the midwife, about her book. And when you brought that scripture, it really came to the fore because I think, well, I'm, I'm toying with the idea that we suffer with Christ. It's important in our, in our walk with him that we do suffer. I actually think it's, it's part of it because he suffered. Mm. And this makes us more like him and mm. that's really important. But I think also we need to understand his sufferings to learn just how much he loves us mm-hmm. because you don't really understand the love that it took until you've at least touched some of it yourself, yep. do you? And we know then that he understands our suffering because he has suffered. That's right. Just this God in the far off, you know, far off place that loves us, that's hard to relate to. Mm. You know, when he suffered, we know he suffered. He wanted, you know, he didn't want to die on the cross in that gruesome way. And he asked God to take that away from him. Mm. But in the end, he surrendered and said, okay, your will, not mine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think there's maybe another part to that too. And I want to ask you what you think of it. Do you think that the things that we suffer, we receive our own stripes, as it were, our own scars, and through that we are also healed because without those stripes, it, we we almost need them, don't we, to change the way we think? Mm. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And it's that whole, you know, God doesn't promise that we will have a, a an easy life. He talks in the Bible that, you know, we will have trials and tribulations. It's But it's God gives us the grace to get through that and, and to use what the enemy means for evil, God will use for good yeah. and, and point people towards him. And that's what I think is like, okay, I'm going through this. I know you didn't give this to me, but you're going to use it for your good and I'm going to point people towards you because this is nothing. Any strength that I have is from him, it's from God. It is not from anything that I have done. You know, people that might not, have a faith and don't understand and go, oh, you know, you're so strong. It's not me. And I say that to them, anything, anything good from this is from God. It's not from me. It's not from anything that I could have done myself. Yeah. Yeah. It opens you up to talk like that too, doesn't it? When you've been through something, you can say without fear or shame, no, it's not me. It's God. And it doesn't matter who hears you. you there's, there's no false embarrassment or, or worry about whether people will think you're weird, is there? You just... I know, well, because that's the truth. I know that I couldn't have, if I didn't have God throughout this whole journey, I would be a, com- a complete, I would be a mess. I may, I may not even be here, mm. you know, if I was relying on myself. But, you know, when you look to something or someone, as in God, that's bigger than you, it just takes your eyes off yourself and puts them where they're supposed to be, on God. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. In part two of my conversation with Tanya, we look deeper into her relationship with God as it developed through her growing trust and understanding of His utter authority over her life and indeed all things. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with Him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.